Welcome to another episode of Behind the Sport. Uh, Shane here again, as always. You guys have to put up with me every episode. But uh, joining us today in the guest host spot is uh, Chris Mitchell. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, not bad. As good as you can be on a on a nice afternoon straight after work. Yeah, no, I, I thank you very much for uh, jumping in the seat for this uh, for this episode because our guest today is right up your alley with. Um, you know, your past racing and what you get the most excited about in motorsport. And uh, that's uh, T- Taylor Dickers joining us. How are you, Taylor? I'm good, thank you. Just chilling out today. I have not had to go to work today, so I'm having oh. a better afternoon than Chris, I'd say. After luck. Now, quick question. Whereabouts do you work? <laughs> um, so I actually work at Power Play, which is an indoor go-karting centre in Joondala. Um, cool. So it kind of ties in with even though it's obviously higher karting for the public, um, we still get to run race schools for kids and stuff like that in school holidays, which sort of ties into the experience that I have, which is really fun. Sweet. Now, your um, your family, and I'm, I'm hoping I'm not making a dick of myself when I say this, um, you guys are flat-out carts, correct? Yes, that's my parents' business. So I realised today that they are one and a half minutes away from my office. Really? In Malaga? Yep. <laughs> Just around the corner in Malaga. Um, I, dro- I actually drove past them so many times and it never twigged. And the other day I was driving past and I went, oh, flat out carts is right there. Righto. Cool. Amazing. Want to get that on. He's got no excuse. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he would come on. Or Sam. <laughs> yeah, I've only been in this spot for like 20 years or something. So, like, yeah. yeah, I don't know. And anyway, the building kind of stands out as well. Like they've got big signage up. It's it's yeah, it's pretty hard to miss. Corner block <laughs> signage on the fence. Yeah, paying out. He needs it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say that I was concentrating on the road and not looking around me. But that's probably even worse, isn't it? Like you should be paying attention to your left and right. But anyway, um, okay, so. For Taylor and, of course, for everyone else, yeah, what we generally do is um, they get – we have a bit of chat first and then uh, hand them over to the guest uh, host or uh, Brent if he's here. And Brent usually asks, asks all the nerdy questions, um, hence why we thought Chris might be good for some nerdy questions today around um, around your your career and motorsport experience. Um, and I just want to say I have I have, still haven't been to Power Play um, but I'm, I've heard lots of really good things about it and that it is nothing like Belmont Carts, um, which is good because I have managed to bag out Belmont Carts on about probably 10 episodes. So, um, yeah. <laughs> most people relate, yeah, I think most people yeah, relate karting back to like their experience at Belmont Carts, especially in Western Australia. You know, they think that's what karting is, but, you know, obviously it's definitely not what it is, but, um, how did you, this is about you. So how did you get involved with motorsport? Okay. So for me, um, it was pretty much inevitable. Uh, so mum or with dad, actually, he got into go-karting. I don't know how old he was actually, but he sort of went to do hire carts, I think at Coburn. Um, and he was pretty much hooked. And I think him and his mate bought a go-kart and it kind of went from there. Um, so 1990, I believe, he started Flat Out Carts um, and I was born in 98. So it hadn't been sort of running that long um, before I was born. But, yeah, obviously it, 
it went went off and went really well and it's come to be sort of one of the most successful kart teams I guess in WA um so being born into that I think it was inevitable that I was going to get involved so like my brother and I were driving around around in go-karts pretty much from the day that we could um starting from like those little electric I don't know we had this like little electric Ferrari and I remember the day that the, the rear axle broke in it and I remember we were driving it around the garage at home and the rear axle broke and it was just, it was heartbreaking. Um, but yeah, so like starting from something like that to little like, um, well, we had this little puffo, it's called a puffo cart, this little go-kart and yeah, so yeah, going up from there and then um, obviously, yeah, into racing. So I think it was inevitable for me. <laughs> Was there any ever pressure for you to do it or was it just like natural progression and you just went, yep, definitely want to do this? Yeah, so I definitely no pressure from dad and even um, in the start. So I, you can start racing when you're seven and I started when I was eight um, and I'm about two years older than my brother. So he started when he was seven, so a year later. And his third race meeting, he had a pretty bad crash and actually rolled over and that kind of spooked me a little bit. He was fine. Typical. He was fine. He kept going. Um, but, yeah, it spooked me a little bit. So the next sort of like 12 to 18 months, I just wasn't as keen. Um, and Dad always made it really clear to me, like, if you want to go to the track, let me know. Um, but if you're not keen or like there's, there's absolutely no pressure. And that was the good thing. I think if he had put pressure on me, um, I wouldn't be where I am today in terms of racing. The um, how long did it take you going from just sort of pedaling the cart around the track to actually going, yep, let's go racing and entering your first competition? I think I hear like I was listening to your the last episode you did with Charlotte and she was talking about um, like it kind of and this is for most people they start it as a fun like let's get a go kart and like not too serious and it's going to be really fun and although it was always going to be fun for me it was like because of dad and his business, you know, it was always serious. Like it was serious to start with kind of thing. Um, and I, I was keen for that. Like I wanted to win races. So I think I've had probably a little bit of an opposite progression to most people where growing up cadets through juniors um, into car racing, it was all really, really serious and it was about winning races. And it's only sort of the last like five, six years that now I go to the track with a bit of a different mindset more sort of leaning towards like I'm just here to have fun if I come second but I have a really good race with someone and it's clean and just really enjoyable then like I'm happy with that um but yeah definitely was like straight into it for me how did you go on your first race I the only thing I remember is it was in Bunbury it was just like a a club race meeting down there um And I remember, if you ask anyone that knows me, I worry about the wrong things. Like I worry about the things that just aren't a big deal. And I remember being so scared of forming up. So like um, in endurance racing in cars, everything's a rolling start, most categories in go-karts. And I was so nervous that I wouldn't be able to form up right and then I would I would get in trouble or do the wrong thing. And I'm, I think back now and I'm like, why was I so concerned about that? And when you first start, you, you have to start at the back every anyway. So it's just like you follow what everybody else does. But that's all I remember from that race. But I don't know. I probably wasn't up the front. But, yeah, I think I loved it. 
<laughs> awesome. Um, so how long did it take you before you ended up stepping on top of a podium? I think from memory in that first year, I'm pretty sure I won. Oh, I remember there was a an enduro-type race meeting at Coburn and I was eight at the time. Um, and I think for us it was 20 laps. And in a cadet car, it's a one-kilometre-long track, I'm pretty sure. 20 laps is like pretty big deal. We had a little pit stop and we'd come into the pits and I think they had to change the tyres or something. I can't remember. Um, and I won that. So that was the first event that I won that year. I can't remember how long I'd been racing, but it was in the first year. Um, and it was so cool. I remember people coming up to me like, oh, well done. And I was like, oh, I feel so important and so cool. <laughs> but, yeah, and that was cool because, like, Dad was involved and he got to do the pit stop, so it was, it was cool for him as well. Um, but, yeah, I still remember that day. It was awesome. <laughs> Did you get to sign any autographs that day? Not that day, I don't believe. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> I thought, you know, like as soon as you're on top of the steps, someone would have to come and go, yeah, I've got to get your autograph, you know. Yeah. Make you like make it you know, get really big. and. I don't think yeah, I would have known what to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a little X yeah. or something like that. <laughs> um, so first year cadets, what did, like, how was your progression up from there? In terms of karting, it's pretty much all aged base um, yep. and you can really take it as far as you want. So like uh, for us in WA, a really big step is going to race on the East Coast because the competition over there is just that bit more intense. Um, there tends to be more people and, you know, they all the national series and everything like that run over there. So they're racing at really big events um, all the time. So for us, when we go over there, it's, yeah, it's a really big step. So that was kind of, that's kind of the natural progression when you're sort of serious about racing and starting cadets. Um, so through, as I said, I had that a year to a year and a half off and that was about, that was during my time in cadets. Um, and then eventually there was, um, I got convinced to come back and do a race meeting because back in the day um, we didn't, we never did qualifying. So basically you would just they pull your names randomly um, to determine a grid position to start with and generally they would reverse that for the second race so no qualifying and this event had qualifying and dad's like you should do it there's qualifying you're going to be starting the race around people that are the same pace as you so you're not going to be like held up by back markers or anything like that because he was he knew I was nervous maybe about crashing because of my brother's crash um, and I went back and I did it and I won so from that point on I was hooked again and like literally have never turned back since that event. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until juniors that I went and raced on the East coast and Victoria was the first place I raced. And yeah, honestly, it's just basically trying to get over there as much as you can um, to get that experience. And then yeah, basically into cars. From my karting point of view, who, who are some names that you would have raced against back then that, perhaps uh, our, our listeners would know or, um, you know, that have been potential guests already or yeah. coming up guests, that sort of thing. I'm at the age now where a lot of the people that I raced against are sort of, they're not up and coming anymore. They're kind of in supercars. So um, obviously the Kostecki boys are from here, so I raced against them. Bryce Forward, Will Brown I raced against a bit, Jade Nojeda, Um There's so many, honestly, I can't think of them all. But, yeah, I see these names and I'm like, 
oh, I raced against them at this event or which was. <laughs> so, yeah, in, like probably Bryce was the one I raced against the most because he obviously grew up in Darwin. So being sort of Northern Territory WA, kind of like a little bit out of the way. So we would go up there generally for their state championships and then they would come here. Um, so Bryce was probably the one that I raced against the most that's really doing well now. Yeah, um, one of our well, uh, one of our guests previously, uh, Brock Bowley, actually mentioned Bryce Forward as someone that he raced against as well. So were you on the track at the same time as Brock or yeah. was it? So when I was yeah. in Cadets, um, and I can't remember when he stopped racing go-karts, probably around sometime during juniors, but all through Cadets I raced against Brock and he was always really fast. Yeah. I just can't picture Brock as like a little kid. <laughs> But he's like one of those people that you just think like just was Brock. He like from day one looks pretty similar. Just like <laughs> I don't know what it is about. Like I've never seen any photos or anything from his karting days, but I could just see like just a miniature version of how Brock is now, <laughs> just sitting in a go kart and yeah, just like he's got this intense stare that he gets when he's um, yeah a bit unhappy, but yeah, he still um, yeah doesn't lose his cool. Well, at least. Not that we've seen anyway, so he's, <laughs> she's always good. Um, so you mentioned into cars. Um, I've just got a message from Chris to say he's dropped off because his phone's overheated. Um, <laughs> I knew you'd bring the technical difficulties. Yeah, it's always Chris. <laughs> it's always the commentators. Um, so from um, from carts, you went to cars. Um, what was your first category that you raced in? So for me, I went into Formula Ford. Um, so Brett Lupton from Fastlane Racing, he helped me out a lot. He said to Dad one day, like, let's get her in a car, just do a test day. Um, and then I think the final sort of push for me was I got invited to a CAM or formerly CAM, so Motorsport Australia, um, junior development camp that they were doing for sort of up-and-coming carters at the time. Um, yeah. They did one camp initially, which was I think they had around eighteen to twenty of us that were, that got chosen from all over Australia, and then from that point they picked, I should remember, but it was about eight or ten people to go through to the next camp. And at the next camp, they held it at a TAFE in Aubrey Wodonga in Victoria. Okay. It has a little track. It's a motorsport based TAFE, and it has a track at the back of it. Um, obviously the intention was, well, they, they said they were going to have a Formula Ford there for us to all drive. It was no, like, no pressure. Um, but, yeah, I guess just to see what what we could do. So that was like, okay, I need to, before I go, I need to jump in a Formula Ford. So I think I did one race before that. And then, yeah, so naturally it was just what um, I stepped into. And back then that was 2015. Uh, yeah 2015 was my first year in formula ford and budget or entry-level series like excel that excels wasn't really a thing back then or maybe it was only just getting started so formula ford especially over here was just the natural step to take um in terms of i mean obviously there's a a big physical difference in what the go-kart is versus what a formula ford is but in terms of like control and handling how how what's the difference there so for me I generally like, um, how do I say this, not to have a lot of grip, but I'm not as comfortable with the back of the car or the go-kart. 
sort of moving around a lot. And Formula Ford, that's what you have to be, that's where you have to be to be fast. So you're fast in Formula Ford when the back of the car is moving around and you have to be comfortable with that. Um, they, they are quite floaty on the rear. So for me, that was the hardest thing with Formula Ford was getting used to that because I, I was not comfortable with that feeling. Um, but once I sort of got used to that, then I was fine. But, yeah, that was the big difference. And obviously when you step into cars from carts, you have to really learn about weight distribution. So things like trail braking, if you don't understand trail braking, you're probably not going to be super fast in a car. Um, it's all about, you know, that transfer of weight. Obviously when you brake, all of the weight of the car goes to the front of the car. And you're talking about something now that's 500 kilos, which is not heavy for a race car. But uh, previously I've been racing go-karts where the weights are around, you know, 120, 130, I think, at the time when I was doing juniors. So big, big difference in terms yeah. of weight. So you have to learn about how that transfer of weight really affects the balance of a car. How long did it take you to get comfortable in the Formula Ford? I don't know. It wasn't too long. Like I did pretty well in that first year. I think I ended up third or fourth um, in that first year. I did do quite a bit of testing, so that obviously helped. Um, and I tried to do as much as I could on simulator as well which isn't perfect. And back then um, we didn't have the best simulator, but that helped. And yeah, I think, I don't know, maybe the, by the first, um, the first round in 2015, because I did do one race at the end of 2014. So yeah, by the time I got in for 2015, I was, um, I was pretty, pretty comfortable. Is that uh, the simulator that's still upstairs at uh, Fastlane with the yellow <laughs> chassis or is that the new, is that a newer simulator that's one that brett got made i'm not sure when he got that one made um we had this simulator that i remember dad building in the garage i would have been i probably would have been, honestly been five or six and it was you would laugh if you saw it now compared to the simulators that people use now this thing was like it was all wooden and he had the back then the just the playstation pedals and steering wheel and he had like this little wooden plate yeah that the steering wheel would sit on and he made it so it would pivot. So if we wanted to drive it, he could put the steering wheel down and it, it was just, he was so proud of himself for this simulator. But if you saw it now, you'd be like, oh my <laughs> gosh. But yeah, particularly my brother, like I did a little bit on the sim when I was little, but he's pretty fast on a sim now, but he literally grew up on a simulator. Like from pretty yeah. much the day that dad could get the pedals close enough, he was on it constantly. So no wonder... He's so good at it now. <laughs> we can't really knock the wooden simulators because uh, one of our past guests, Jimmy Russo, has actually set some world records on a wooden built simulator that he built himself at home. So, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I, I love I love a lot of the simulators that are coming out now. Yeah. Um, but there is something special about something that's been built at home and and put together, yeah. um, you know, from, from the scraps. Um, Although I don't know, maybe Chris might might want to argue with me about that one. Uh nothing beats just working on your simulator every week while you buy a new part week by week and rebuilding <laughs> it all the bloody time. I mean, your your one's a bit fancy compared to the wooden wooden uh, chassis <laughs> simulators. Yeah, you've but you got to start somewhere. You know, technology's cha- changed a lot as well, so yeah, a little. Of course, um. Chris, Chris does uh, a lot of testing for racecraft 
Um, I'll send that bill to Johnny later <laughs> for that plug of racecraft. Well, there's two. Yep, we'll keep a count of those, count of those, and send him a bill accordingly. Um, <laughs> no, we don't get paid for mentions of stuff. If we think it's cool, we talk about it. If we don't think it's cool, we talk about it too, um, and say that it's not cool. But anyway, um, so after Formula Fords, where did you head from there? So I did Formula Ford for two years. Um, I did a few races on the East Coast. And then after that was probably when I sort of, I finished school, um, got into uni and that kind of thing. So I kind of took a step back from the really, really full-on race com commitments. And it was sort of the same time that I started changing my mindset, going to the track, like I'm here to have fun. I'll race whatever opportunity I get. Um, just yeah. get my bum in a seat. So, yeah, I did a bit of the following year, uh, 2017, I did a bit of historic Formula Ford, which was cool. Um, there was one race at Collie where it rained and the historic cars are really soft. So obviously in the wet and off the starts, they just squat and go, like they're really good. And I remember I was a <laughs> we were in Collie and I was the fastest person in the wet, um, all these modern cars, and I was the fastest in this, I think, 19... 1970-something um, Palliser Formula Ford and, yeah, loved it. So, yeah, did a bit of that. Um, did a few rounds in F1000 and then I did – my dad had an XL, so I did a race in that and then was like, oh, I think I've got to buy one of these. <laughs> so, yeah, the last couple of years – well, actually mainly just last year um, and the end of the year before I have done XLs. I think I first saw you in an Excel, uh, the Enduro with um, Natasha. Pissaris. I want to say that. Yeah, I don't want to say Pissaris. For some reason, I always like get, get their name wrong somehow. Like, I know it's Pissaris, but I always go, I don't know, I just say something very different. So, <laughs> um, you, got, you came, where did you guys come in that one? It was like. That first I mean, year, I can't remember. Actually, I think I raced. I think I did that enduro before I did the racing dad's car. Um, yeah. So I think I met Paul. I was at Collie and, oh, Ducky. He, Good old Ducky. he introduced yeah. me and I'm pretty sure they had a driver organised from over east to come over and race with Tash. And I said, yeah. if, if it falls through, I said to Paul, if it falls through, and she needs a driver, let me know because I'm keen. I've seen these XLs and the field was getting a bit bigger and I was like, I'm keen to jump in one. I think it'll be really fun. I think we finished somewhere in the middle. I, I crashed in the third, the race before the enduro. Um, so it was like a rush to get it back together uh, for the enduro. Yeah, I think we started at the back. So I think we finished roughly in the middle and then I did it with her the next year as well. So, yeah, I've done the enduro three times but only once in my own car. <laughs> yeah. I think that Enduro was the same one that um, I'm trying to see if I've got my timing right, that um, Carlos Ambrosio rode off an Excel a couple of days before. Was that that Enduro? I can't remember. My Yeah, my memory. Or was it the start of last season? Yeah. I, I know it was something, there was some big thing on that and the, it was just like this mammoth effort to get him back on the track. Yeah. I seem to, think, seem to remember the Enduro for some reason, but yeah. How did how did you find going from you know you've had your your wind in your face for the last you know x amount of years and now all of a sudden you've got this cockpit around you and windows and 
you know, metal everywhere. Like how, how is that feeling for you? It's really different. And obviously the XL is a lot heavier and less powerful than a Formula Ford. It's just a different driving style really that you have to get used to obviously being front wheel drive as well. Um, but I kind of liked it and I feel like because it's, they're not particularly hard to drive for me getting out of a formula Ford, which was really serious. And, you know, I went over recent race with, um, Leanne Tanda and yeah, it was real like serious for me. And then getting into the XL, I knew it was just going to be for fun and yeah. being the enduro as well, which is always just such a great fun event. I was as pumped and I, yeah, I, I just enjoyed it. And the, the braking is actually surprising. I thought, you know, like I expected this really slow car that they had less than 100 horsepower, but you brake really late. And when you do tuning days and you're out there with like V8s and these really powerful cars and you come up to a corner and you catch back up to them because they yeah. don't get around the corners very quickly, it's like, oh, this is actually pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> the um, So in that in that year that you switched to um, Excels, um, and again, I'm hoping I'm getting my timing right because, you know, it's been a big blur the last couple of years. Um, you're involved with a movie called Go. And yeah. that, and Chris was involved in that as well. He had his big, big mug uh, in that. <laughs> I got as well. my 20 and, seconds. Yeah, there's, there's actually a lot. I got my 20 seconds. Yeah, yeah. It was enough. It was enough, though. Like, you know. Um, but you know, and there's obviously a lot of other Perth talent involved with that, which is just amazing. Um, and a lot of people wrote that movie off without seeing it, um, purely because they went, eh, it's going to be like Belmont carts. I can just go to Belmont carts. Like what's so exciting about that? Um, which has got me on my rant about Belmont carts, <laughs> um, which is how that whole thing started. Um, but how did you, how did you guys get involved with that? So. They approached, um, I'm not sure if they approached Arise first or my dad for the go-karts, but in the end, dad supplied the go-karts for that movie. I can't remember. It was like five or six go-karts, brand new go-karts that they, um, that dad supplied for the movie. So I think they may have asked dad and a couple of the clubs, like what sort of drivers um, should we get in contact with? And I can't remember in total how many of us there were, um, but we were all, I guess, down as stunt drivers. And yeah. yeah, you don't, you can't really tell who's who because um, the costume department, actually it was the, the director was, we all rocked up in our, like our suits and our helmets and that kind of thing, which we think are cool because we have our custom painted helmets and a lot of <laughs> custom suits. So we're like, this is cool. And the director comes out and he's like, no, like this is, it's just too much. There's way too much going on. And he was looking at, obviously he's the director, so from a, yeah. I guess, production and show, showbiz point of view. And he was like, no, we need block colours because for people that aren't involved in karting, they don't know that that's what's cool. So we just yeah. want, you know, someone in blue, someone in red, that kind of thing. So we're wearing these helmets that we thought were like, oh, these are helmets you wear when you first get started and you know, <laughs> plain suits. And we're like, oh. But in the end, I mean, the movie looks really good. And for, for Sam and I in particular, the best part of that whole experience was the premiere in Bustleton. So in Bustleton, there's the, the cinema they have there where they premiered it. Um, and then there's a park outside. So they blocked off the road that goes around the park. And yes, Sam and I got to drive our carts around and there was 
the streets were lined with people and yeah, everyone thought it was awesome. And we did like this mock race, I guess. Um, and yeah, you watch the footage back and it's like, we were actually going pretty fast and there's just people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and there's cars that like, only blocked off one direction. So there's cars coming down the other side of the road. So they only blocked off the lane going clockwise yeah. around the park. Um, but that was awesome. It's so cool. And to have the photos now as well, us coming up to a set of traffic lights in these little go-karts, pretty cool memory. Yeah. Now, I know we um, always say we don't ask gossipy stuff, but there is one thing I have to ask about that movie Okay. before we go back to the serious stuff of it. Who did the burnout? There's a famous burnout that's been discussed and rumoured, and it was rumoured that it was Chase Hoy, and then it was rumoured that it was... um, someone else who was the other person that was uh, mentioned there's been a few people that have been dobbed in for this apparently there's like a burnout on set or something was this in the one in the brown car yes the old car yes i'm don't hold me to it but i'm fairly sure it was bd uh-huh yeah I'm pretty okay sure. that's a new name because i remember that's him saying he really he actually struggled to get it to do a burnout i'm pretty sure yeah. Wasn't me. (laughs) Wasn't me. I can't do a burnout to save my life. Don't don't hold me to it, but I'm pretty sure it was BD. He's coming up on an episode, so I'll have to ask him now. We're trying to we're trying to find out. We want to get a definitive answer of who did this burnout that that's been talked about, but you know, like sort of in the background of things, like it's not been a made an issue or anything like that. Like it's not people yeah. going, eh, someone did a burnout, you know, what a wanker or whatever. But it's just been like there was a burnout on set that wasn't supposed to happen and oh, no, someone did was. it. That one was for the, oh, okay. one of the scenes. I'm not sure if it ended up, I can't remember. I'm pretty sure it was in the movie. Um, yeah, no, there's apparently one that was done that wasn't supposed um, to have been done. Okay, well, I don't know about that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's interesting. I'm trying to think who else we've had on. That was in that movie, um, and they hinted it may have been Chase, but then they also hinted it was someone else. So, mm. yeah, I don't know. And Chase, Chase won't admit to it, so yeah. we're not sure. Okay, well, I'm not sure. It's the, mystery, sure. it's the mystery burnout. Maybe by episode <laughs> 100 we might get to the bottom of this. This will just be like an ongoing thing. Well, we'll I'm glad you clarified that it was one that wasn't meant to happen. Otherwise, I would have just dropped BD and something. BD straight into it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel it's something BD would probably just own up to. Like if we asked him straight out, went, how did you do the burnout? That wasn't supposed to happen. He'd be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't need life. Talking about BD with burnouts, there's a pretty cool video from years and years and years ago of him in a go-kart in the car park at Dad's workshop. BD was working for my dad at the time. And yeah. I don't know what they put, like, these really hard tyres on um, a Rotax, which is fairly powerful 125 engine. And, yeah, just it's just, you, I think Chris has seen the video, just doing burnouts in this car park. It's pretty cool. And people still talk about that video now. <laughs> I remember seeing something very much the same live. Stephen Jones did it with the Rotax, oh. and it had SL1 fronts on the back at the That's bottom probably... of the app grid at Coburn. And they picked oh the cart up and threw it sideways, and it just kept going around and around and around. Uh-huh. That's funny. <laughs> um, 
so last year in excels um you were doing really well you did really well yeah i kind of surprised myself a bit i think i didn't really expect to be right up the front like i expected to be battling with the people up the front um but i didn't really expect to win as many rounds that i did but i think i actually don't know i don't know i just surprised myself but obviously the car was very well prepared so tom from Pomtech motorsport he did all the prep on the car all the setups he built the car um and yeah. he is a perfectionist so that's who we asked about the burnout it was tom oh really yeah yeah, yeah. So, sorry yeah yeah so like from everything down to you know he goes through everything working out whether it needs to be replaced or not um, then obviously upgrading, which with an Excel, there's not much that you can really do to them. But then, yeah, from pre- the presentation as well. So he like painted the inside and because it's a budget category, a lot of people, you know, go get your rattle cans from Bunnings and it does the job, um, but it doesn't look great. But yeah, he went and obviously spent the money on the proper, I'm not sure what you call it, is it two-pack paint or something? I don't know, the proper paint to do it all properly and yeah, perfectionist. So uh, it does come down to that a lot as well. The car was very good. Yeah. Um, have you entered in for this year? I haven't. So we okay. owned that car together and we sold it. So right. it was very sad to see it go. Um, yeah, so many hours of work well, went into the first car and then the yeah. rebuilt car as well. So, yeah, it was sad to see that go, but I... I'm not going to say I won't be in one at some point this year. I don't know who's or when, but yeah. I'll probably end up in something. <laughs> okay. Okay. Because, yeah, that, yeah, it would be good to see you back out there racing. And um, how do you think the category is going to go now with the standardisation on the Super Shocks? Because there's obviously a – what was it? It was about a second difference between the Super Shocks and the – yeah yeah so massive difference between the xyz and the super shock so the car that we initially bought was a race ready car and it was before everybody was using the super shock so that had xyz's in it um so we got to back to back when we got the super shocks and yeah it was at least a second i can't remember exactly but just the feel of the car was completely different um that just handles so much better so obviously I haven't driven on the new set of Super Shocks and we've got the first round this weekend, I believe. So it'll be interesting to see the difference. I think a few guys have been doing testing, but, yeah, I'm not exactly sure how that's gone. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, they're a bit cheaper, which makes it good for um, obviously being a budget category and entry-level category. That's what you sort of want to focus on and keeping everything pretty standard and one mate for a one mate category. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see, but I think the super shocks were good. Um, so I'm assuming the cars will still handle really well on them. That's good. Um, I'm just having a look through. Now Carlos Ambrosio has actually left that category, which is a bit of a shame because it was, um, always good to see like the big Ambrosio family down there, and um, I think Luca's the name of his younger, or the, not the youngest, youngest, but the 
of his boy that used to turn a spanner, even though, you know, he probably didn't really know what he was up to. Yeah. But, um, Rob Landsmere is back um, until his car's sold. Um, they sort of that out for like 30 something thousand dollars for that car. Yeah, it's a good car. Um, yeah. He's the same. He's put a lot of a lot of time into that car and even testing as well. So that's the reason he's so quick, obviously. Mm. Um, but yeah. And um, yeah, like that category, like they've got six new cars being built, which be in the grid by the end of the first half, and a few new younger drivers around fifteen and sixteen. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think now yeah. for me, no, you just need to get back out there. <laughs> For me, when I went from carts to cars, Formula Ford was a natural step. It was sort of yeah. only really what there was in WA. Um, and then we got F1000, which a few people did, uh, but it was it's sort of a bit more on the expensive side. And now that the XLs are so big, it's, a, I guess, a bit of a toss-up whether you want to do Formula Ford or go into XLs, like I guess open wheeler versus tin top. Um, yeah. But I think the fact that it's a budget category, you can literally do it. You know, if you want to go buy a car with your dad, you buy a road car for under $1,000, build it up in the garage. You don't have to spend a lot of money. Um, Tires are $400 for a set. And I think you're limited to three per year and three sets per year. So, yeah, it's perfect for anyone that just wants to get involved. Now, I need to rag on Cam Atkins for a minute because we are talking about um, Excels. Um, would you suggest that he should perhaps stop putting his poor suffering dad through having to come to every car race and let him actually enjoy motorsport and get his own little pit crew together? Oh. Do you reckon that would be a good idea? I think his dad likes it. <laughs> enjoy it I don't know, have you ever spoken to him at the end of the day? <laughs> Especially when the cam has taken off to Mandra to go party and left his dad packing up the car. <laughs> I think I'm sure he likes it. Yeah. But we just we like to pick on Cam a little bit about that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, all good. Um before I hand you over to Chris, um if you were able to have a, um, I guess, teammate, let's say in an enduro, um, and you could pick that teammate from any category of motorsport in the world, from any era, alive or dead, obviously, you know, we'll just wave our fingers and make it all magically, you know, then come back to life. Um, who would you want sitting in a car next to you and what sort of car would you want to be in with them? Oh, the what sort of car threw me? I have to think about that. Yep. Um, teammate? Yeah, we're trying to change, try and change it up a little bit because everyone, we usually get guests go, oh, yeah, I've thought about this answer. So we try and change it up a little bit oh, just so they don't, they don't get it every time. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know. So teammate sounds silly, but either my brother because – I feel like we complement each other quite well because he's quite he has quite an aggressive driving style and I'm the opposite. So I think we balance each other out well. Um, and when we race, when we've raced against each other, which Dad kind of kept to a minimum because he's smart. <laughs> yeah, like we were, were fighting so hard to beat each other that literally 
everybody else would get left behind. So I think us together in a team I think would be good. Or um, Leanne Tander. So I spent, they gave me a really great opportunity to go race in one of her Formula Fords over East. So I spent a bit of time because she was racing in the uh, more modern category that they have over East that we don't have here. So, yeah, I got to spend a bit of time with her at the racetrack and seeing, um, I guess, behind the scenes of her. And she is just, she's really cool. So she literally, in 2016, she won the National Formula Ford Series. Um, she was probably, she was racing against, I think Will Brown came second to her. Uh, Jade Nojeda was up there as well. So, like, these are people that are half her age. Um, she'd gone off, had yeah. two kids come back and raced and won in a pretty prestigious category, I'd say, national series. Um, and she just, like, she will just fight. Like, she just doesn't give up. So, yeah, either Sam or Leanne. <laughs> oh, and what sort of car? Oh, this is so hard. I don't know. Like, the, the best thing I've ever driven is the Formula 1000. That's the most fun thing I've ever driven. Yeah. But I don't know. I see. I know Sam's quick in an F1000, so maybe that would okay. be maybe that's a, a safe bet. But I reckon definitely something wings and slicks. I love wings and slicks. It's awesome. <laughs> have you uh, been watching the S5000s? I have. I've sort of been like I see things on um, Facebook, but I haven't been following it too closely. But yeah, I think I should because I've heard they're pretty cool as well. They are very, very good um, to the point where um, if if I could spend the whole year just following them around, I would love to do that. Um, the sound of the engines, just how they run, um, you know, they're, they're so nice. They're such a beautiful car. Yeah. And seeing them out on track. So I went to the Bend, yeah, the Bend in 2019. Um it was their second ever outing. Um, they did a demonstration at Sandown a few months before, um, and it was an absolute shit show. Um, it was raining. The drivers were very inexperienced, you know, and it was just – it wasn't a good look for this, you know, brand-new premier category. Um, and then they came to the bend, and it was perfect weather, um, you know, maybe a little bit too hot, but, you know, it was perfect weather. There was no rain. Um a much longer, newer track and everything like that. And standing, there's maybe only, there's probably about 20 media people there that day. Um, out of those 20, there was only two standing downstairs on the start-finish line taking photos. And the rest of us were all up in the media room hanging over the balcony with our phones out recording the start of the race just because it was... The sound was deafening and, yeah, it's a beautiful category, absolutely beautiful category. Um, and they sound much nicer than Formula 1s these days. So um, although uh, the sound that McL- new McLaren made maybe might, might, might change your mind. <laughs> might change my mind. Yeah, some of the new cars, their engines are quite nice. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. But anyway, um, all right, well, Chris... My turn, Have you got like three million questions lined up over? Uh, I don't. So not gonna not gonna keep That's Taylor right. too long. Um, That's all right. I'm gonna come at it from a driver because 
I like I like to think of myself still as somewhat of a driver. <laughs> um, you've gone all over all over the country, running you know so many different categories. What was the most challenging car combination and track combination that you that you had to pick up? Whether it was just because you didn't have enough time flying in for a race weekend, or just because it it had you stumped and you you just couldn't figure it out. Is this for cars or for go karts? Give me either. I'm happy okay. for either. So for me, I did one year, um, we did Rotax Pro Tour. So that was 2014. Um, I'd been to some of the tracks before. Um, I got a chance to test at Geelong and Todd Row. Dad, Dad and I went over for one weekend. But other than that, um, very new to the tracks, obviously there wasn't really any simulator programs that I could use, whereas, you know, when I went to new tracks in a car, I had sand down and I had Winton on a simulator. So I didn't really have that as an option. So it was always, yes, spending time obviously learning the track when you first get there and then trying to work out how to be fast. So on the whole, um, the tracks that I didn't get to test at, so we went to, there's a track in Albury-Wodonga. We went to Albury-Wodonga. I found that track okay, um, but Ipswich was really hard in Queensland and that was the national round, of course. So I, and the categories, you know, Junior Max, which is what I was racing at the time, there's 40 carts. Every every event was pretty much full track, 40 carts or whatever the track could hold. And these are the people that are the fastest juniors in the country and it's relentless. You really just have to get your elbows out. There's going to be a crash at turn one. You can bet your money on it. So, yeah, it's elbows out and just go for it. Um, but, yeah, Ipswich Nationals 2014 in Junior Max, that was full on that was really really hard <laughs> have you ever been back after that one event or have you just had the one stint and that's it that's enough i haven't so i think that's the other thing with you would know also like with going and racing over east these guys get they get such a chance to test and even the guys that are from maybe melbourne it's not that far for them to drive up and do some testing in queensland whereas for us like it's a it's expensive to do that and yeah. to get a cart or get your cart over there so you're already, I guess, a step behind. You're a step behind because you don't know the track and then you're a step behind because you haven't done anywhere near as much testing as these people. But, yeah, I haven't been back to Ipswich or a lot of the tracks really from um, Pro Tour. But, yeah, it'd be good to go back now and now they do AKC and just, yeah, different perspective. I'm a lot older and just give it another go and see how it goes. So through... Through karting, you, you've been one of the one of the people that are around nowadays. That there's a few of us around who have been around several eras of karting. From, I mean, you're born in '98, so I got a, a few years on you. And I I jumped out of juniors as you were in juniors, and um and I jumped out of cars as you got into cars. So, what was what was the best era of karting for you? Was it was it the cadet or the midgets days with the with the Comas and the Jays on, on hard Dunlops, or was it the, the fast carts that you've had the, the opportunity to run in now? I would say Junior National. So Juniors, we had the old J, Yamaha J um, on SL1s, which were obviously really hard compound tyre. But it was more about growing up, like things like that I just, it feels so weird to think about now. Something like winning a state title back then when you're 12, 13 years old, is like 
the be all and end all. It's like if I can do that, or the feeling when that happens is insane. It just feels like feels like everything in the world <laughs> winning a state title. So that was yeah, so juniors is when you sort of get really serious about it because through cadets, I mean, you're serious about it, but you grow up and you understand it a bit more. And by the time you get to juniors, you're like, I really want this. Like, I just want to achieve whatever it is, whether it's a state title or a national title or whatever it is. Um, but, yeah, junior national always had big fields. I remember the the meetings where I would race both heavies and lights. So we'd use the junior, junior size cart because a lot of people would use a senior cart in heavies. So I'd use my junior cart and just bolt the lead on in between races and it was awesome. And it was quick as well. That little junior cart at heavyweight was quick. It was cool. <laughs> there, there was something to be said about the old school uh, J's and SL1 days. I mean, that was that was my junior career in carts and I had the I had the pleasure of the first couple of years of junior Rotax Max um, and we were still on like MG Reds, which were, you know, yeah. the ultra sticky with the massive sidewall uh tire for for shane's purpose and for anyone listening um that would just stick you to the racetrack but yeah some of the the best driving and the best racing you could ever have would come from the j days considering it's an engine that's designed to be bolted to what were they the the bangkok dinghies the little water pump motors oh i don't know that's what a j is so yamaha made a motor that bolts to a a water pump that's why on the side of a j there's the five bolt bolt studs or five uh um holes and on the side yeah. of that bolts a water pump and they put them on the bangkok ding- dinghies to get across the river <laughs> that's what they're actually for it's a lot and i don't were, think they were a premier racing engine for you know 10 15 20 years here in australia yeah so i don't think dad misses the disparity between them because you know you would hear of these people especially over east that were going yeah. away and buying you know however many engines to find the best head or find the best barrel or whatever it was. Um, so I don't think, you know, the KA obviously, engine obviously has a lot better um, disparity. Is that what you're saying? I'm not sure. But, yeah, they're better a lot parity. closer. Parity. That's <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it was more so like just the, the people around. We were all racing the same people at the same time. We've kind of all, we kind of all grew up together. And I think that what make, that's what makes it so good as well is the social element. That you get from any type of motorsport not just karting um but yeah growing up with these people and then racing so hard and competitively with them and then yeah seeing how that changes over the years i mean i guess there's that aspect too karting's so formative but uh, now that you've made the step to cars and you've had your success in cars uh both locally and abroad going over east and, and running over there and you had your su- success in carts as well um now that you do take things a little less seriously because we all grow up and we all realize that, uh, that it's a little harder than we think uh, to, to go to the dizzying heights of it all. Do you, do you see that same kind of mentality that you once were? You walk into the go-kart track and I know you're there a lot, whether you're racing or not. Um, you see that from the kids nowadays, but it's, it's such a different atmosphere nowadays. It is. And it's hard to kind of, put yourself in those shoes but in their shoes now but it's very different environment at the go-kart track now you know like even the setup that dad and sam run with flat out carts the big marquee and people are paying to be in the marquee people are paying maybe to have a mechanic for the weekend or they might just be doing arrive and drive so literally just rocking up to the track with their helmet and the gear 
and everything's done for them. The track's been, the cart's been bought to the track for them, prepped for them. They've got a mechanic for the day. They might have driver tuition for the day. This just didn't happen when I was in cadets and juniors. It just wasn't a thing. And I think it sort of obviously it starts in Europe, sort of travels over east, and then it comes to us last, I think. But it's just really, really different. These kids that their parents pay for all this support, I guess, which is really, really, it's good to see it going that way. It's good for karting and it's an easy transition for them when they go over east because they're used to being in that team environment. So they go over east, they race with the team and it's the same deal. They have the mechanic or or whatever they've um, they've paid, paid for. So it's easy for them to transition. But when I did Pro Tour, I was I was sort of in a team. Dad obviously came with me and ran the cart and did all the work on the cart, but we were still in the team marquee. I was in the team cart, so I kind of got a taste of it, but I just can't imagine what it would be like now being an eight-year-old or nine-year-old in karting. It's just so different. And I guess at the end of the day, we all still go home and go back to work or school the next day. <laughs> it's, it's not like yeah, we're, all, yeah. we're all superstars, but it, it is such a different environment. Now. It, in your opinion, now I know this is probably going to be a controversial one. Is it better that way? I really don't know. I mean, the kids are still the same. The kids are still running around. Probably like the last few events, it's been so hot. Water fights, all that, all the stuff that we did at the track as kids. And when you go to an event where people are camping, it's just, I remember we used to go to Lake King and my parents, we didn't really, we didn't go, we're in a family that went camping a lot or anything like that. But Lake King, you pretty much don't have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. So I know I just thought it was awesome. We got to stay at the track and everyone stayed at the track and you got to hang out all night and stuff like that. I still, the kids still do that now. So I don't know. I, I really don't know. I think it's really good for karting now that it's more professional and people take it a bit more seriously because it's hard when you, when you say to someone, oh, I do go-karting. It's kind of like what Shane said with people think of higher karts or, yeah, some of the things I've heard, like billy carts, like things that just roll down the hill and yeah. like made out of wood. I'm like, what do you? Yeah, so I think it's good that it's it it looks better. It's more attractive to people that maybe don't know much about it. And ultimately, if that gets more people into the sport, obviously karting is sort of a gateway for motorsport and cars and all that kind of stuff as well. Then it's good for everybody that's involved. So out of all the tracks you've been to, what's your favourite? And why? Favourite go-kart track, Darwin. I just really like the track. It's quite open and flowing, which suits my driving style. Um, and I think I associate the environment when you go up with go up there as it was as kids as well. Like it's just the best weekend. It was always the best weekend. It'd be freezing cold in Perth. You jump on a plane, go there in the middle of the year and it's warm. Um, everyone feels like they're on holiday and the people up there are just so chill and everyone's really friendly. And I remember one year they do a, a fireworks night in the Northern Territory. So you literally can just let fireworks off. I think it's from 6 p.m. or something yes, and it's completely legal to just let fireworks. Is it? Yeah. We were up there one year and July, that was awesome. So every time, I, yeah. Yeah, every time I think about Darwin, not only do I love the track but just the memories that we made up there as well. Yeah, I love it up there. <laughs> Never got the chance to drive on Darwin, but I might um, might have to figure something out when I'm up there 
uh, little later in the year, uh, I'm planning on heading up for the uh, Triple Crown. Should be a should be a fun yeah, one. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So for the in for the go kart track, the actual um, start, the lap where you start the race is actually on a different track. So the start straight, you don't drive on except for on that first lap. So you kind of it's hard to explain without being too able to show so it. It's like yeah, you kind of where you've got the the start gate. Kind of, yeah. You like kind of cut through the middle of the track just for the start, That's and awesome. then you do the normal track. I've got so to go racing. Cool. Go. Have- I'm going to get my license back. <laughs> of course, racing does the same. Yeah. So because it's the only the only track up there, that one track has, don't quote me on it, but like seven or eight different configurations that they can run. Yeah. So it changes it up for them as well, which is cool. I mean, it's a wicked complex up there because they've got the drag strip uh, parallel to the main straight plus Northline Speedway. Northline Speedway? The Speedway yeah. right there. Um, and it's all it's all built into one. And you can see it when you fly into the city. Uh, from the plane window, so you know exactly where you're going. <laughs> when it comes to, this is probably my last one, when it comes to uh, the the physical action of still driving, do you find yourself, uh, even all these years after, I say all these years, it's like acting like we're really old, um, after you stop <laughs> taking things super seriously, do you find yourself still falling into the, the really analytical pattern of, of finding every every last tenth, every last hundredth on the racetrack whenever you are in the in the driver's seat. I honestly think it's got worse as I've got older. So as I've got older and I'm able to analyze stuff more, and yeah, I constantly am being told, you're overthinking it. Just drive. Like don't think about it. Just drive. Because yeah, I will actually be driving and thinking about like, okay, what could I have done through that corner? How can I maximize my corner speed and yeah, keep up that momentum? And yeah, doing this is a bit strange actually, but doing laps in higher carts as often as I do now because I work at Powerplay, it gives you because they're obviously not as powerful as a race cart. You have to to be fast. You need to keep up that momentum. So doing laps there and working out how can I maximize my corner speed. And obviously, it's concrete. It's not bitumen, but yeah, I feel like that's actually maybe helped me last year because I went quite well in carts last year as well. Um, yeah, but I think I analyze, I I definitely overanalyze stuff. I think too much. <laughs> you find that's that's potentially driven by uh, you know, being around the flat out scene, and and now that karting is so heavily dominated by data, and immediately after a race, we've got the laptops out, we're analyzing, we're we're working out the deltas, and we're looking oh, a couple of k's down there, a couple of k's down there. We can you know we can get you a couple of tenths. Uh, do you find that that comes into your mind when you're thinking about it? Yeah, so I've, I've always felt, and I think Shane asked me at the start about, did Dad ever put any pressure on? And he didn't. But I put pressure on myself because I always felt the pressure. You know, I'm Greg's daughter. so And people expect, well, I feel like people expect me to go well as well. So I just felt that pressure. And, yeah, I still do feel it now. Um, I think now, obviously for Sam and Dad, it's their job to win. So for them it's... They just go to the track to win and they still have fun and all that kind of stuff. But whereas for me, I'm like, now I tell them. Whereas before I would give in and it would, they would be hassling me about something that's happened or why didn't you pass that person on that lap or whatever. And now I'm just like, leave me alone. I'm just, <laughs> you know, have fun. if I don't win, I'm, I'm okay with that. If it's, if it's a good weekend, obviously when you do something dumb or you're like, oh, I really should have like made that move or whatever, then you kick yourself for it. But 
yeah, I've learned to just tell them to leave me alone. <laughs> It's a, it's a good mentality to have. There's a duality there of when, when we talk about we go racing for fun. Um, we're always racing for fun, but it's no fun if you're not doing well. So <laughs> you yeah. still have to do well to have fun. Yeah, and it's natural. Like, of course, they need to, for, as a, from a business perspective, they want to win. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's why that, that that's their focus. And, yeah, I think I've worked out a good, Dad and I have a good sort of, situation going now where he's like okay he knows when to back off and I've just had enough and he knows that if he hassles me about something it's not going to be a good weekend so he knows like okay I'll take a step back he's learned that now <laughs> <laughs> do, do you reverse the roles a bit do you get the laptop out on Sam and tell him his shit you know just speed it up a little bit I'm not that brave I'm honestly not that brave <laughs> I drove his KZ <laughs> a couple of months ago now I think uh, he's like, we'll get you out for a day in a KZ. And I was sharing the cart with um, someone else. So I think there was only four sessions on the practice day. So I only got two sessions and it was awesome. But, yeah, I would never be like, mm, well, actually, I think I was better through turn one than you were. Never. I'm not that brave. <laughs> <laughs> at least you know your limit. All you, all you need to do is uh, just tell him, like, if he ate less chips at the track, <laughs> then, you know, he might he might do a bit quicker. Shane <laughs> said that um, Sam was eating some chips a few years ago at Wondowie and didn't offer Shane yep. any. So Sam's in his bad books. Right in front of me, you know, and being, you know, this this size and everything, if someone just offers you a chip, you know, it just satisfies that little satisfies. Satisfied. Fries. <laughs> That is fries. I didn't even mean to say that. Um, it's oh no, I totally did. It's totally awesome. Yeah. Um, it satisfies that little craving you get when you see someone eating chips and you get that smell of salt and vinegar. But um, no, salmon. It was actually the rest of the flat out crew. That was yep eating chips right in front of me at one dowie. You know, didn't even offer me one. So you know what happened? I went and bought a big box of chips and sat there and ate them. And then felt like crap for the rest of the day. I remember that weekend. So yeah. that was that freezing cold King of the Hill weekend, wasn't it? Um, it was two thousand twenty. Yeah. Freezing. My first ever go kart like karting experience at that level, and I was blown away by it. Oh, it's insane! Those big, the big events, like it's the standalone meetings, so the meetings that aren't part of a series for the year that get really massive because a lot of people, particularly in WA, work things like FIFO and that kind of thing and maybe can't commit to a whole series. So yeah. the standalone events for us are just super, generally really, really massive and lots of entries. And Wandawi, which is where King of the Hill is, they generally put on a really good show and it would have been probably a, a night race as well, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah, so it looks cool under light. And that was really cool. Yeah. Really cool to watch. Everything looks fun thought- at night. I thought nothing was ever going to actually top that karting experience until uh, a few weeks ago at Wanneroo Raceway where I got to see some um, – they were KZ2s, Chris? Yeah. 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 Taylor would not. Yeah. KZ. Yes. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, KZ2s um, out on track at Wanneroo Raceway. And, you know, I mean, not the whole track, but, you know – Racing down, you know, the supercars pits out into the, out into the infield, and um, yeah, then out up the hill onto turn, then down through turn seven. That it's just crazy to watch, like just. And then the thing you were saying before about yeah, for the launch of that um, 
of the movie go and you know like it was crazy seeing those carts so close to the public and all that and i was thinking about it afterwards like we were standing there like right yeah right next to the track with cameras you know like usually we'd have something between us and and you know a car or a cart and you know like we're hanging into the track getting photos and stuff um just yeah being dickheads really yeah um but it was it was just so cool and um at the end seeing one of them doing a burnout and you know doing donuts in turn seven and up on three wheels and that would have um, been my brother <laughs> yeah i think it was <laughs> he literally cannot help himself so he was the only person, the only person that didn't put on new tires because he was basically being stingy he's like why, why am i going to put new tires on and can use them for uh the neck whatever the next event is and everybody else put on new tires and then after their first the first race demonstration they did who's the one person doing donuts sam yeah. and it's like <laughs> you're on old clothes you need these just but yeah he got i think around 136 k's an hour he got to yeah. and when you're sitting not very far off the ground, um, I think, with him in the car, probably about 170, 180 kilos, and you're going that fast, um, it's pretty cool. And I think people yeah. kind of noticed that because, well, where I was standing, the fence was pretty much lined of people. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, was, on the, I, was, I was on the supercar's roof and people were running yeah, and people going from back fence and forth, to back fence. And forth. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, and, cool. Um, you know, BD, who at a race day is usually looking a bit stressed and, you know, he's not grumpy looking, but he's, you know, looking definitely stressed. And, you know, he's there with a big grin on his face and laughing. And uh, Nick Middick was down there as well, you know, and usually every time you see him at a race meet, you know, he's all serious, um, serious face on. And, you know, he was down there laughing and, um, you know, I think, the, yeah, it was cool. It was, it was a pretty awesome little show. So um, hopefully some footage will come out of that soon and people might go, uh, you know, like, oh, go go check out carts more. And um, I know I had one of my camera guys there, so hopefully I haven't looked through that footage yet, but hopefully we've got something. Yeah. But, yeah. Now, um, if Brent was here, he'd be asking you this question, so you get it from me. Okay. Um, do you have any superstitions when you go racing? Um, okay, so in one for cars is when I first did Formula Ford, I did obviously race with Fastlane Racing, Brett Lupton, and he always taught me. Um, so Charlotte had a similar one in the episode about uh, that she did with you about the car popping into neutral. And the Formula yeah. 4 didn't do that, but he was always like, whatever you do, don't – you obviously don't want to be in third off the start because it's not going to go anywhere. So he always said stop just before the start line, just before your grid box, bring, put it into neutral, put it back into first, and then drive up to the line. And then you definitely 100% know it's in first. So anything I drive now, anything with a, for a standing start, I do that. And another one is using the same toilet cubicle. That, so like That's right. We've had that one many times. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I, always, I always did that. Um, and then I remember Leanne Tanta came over here to race and she, I just thought it was me that did that. And she said, oh, I didn't get the, the toilet that I always go into. There was someone in there. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's not just me. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. 
but yeah I've always done that as well I just if I don't get that toilet I'm like this is not going to be good <laughs> yeah <laughs> cool cool well, then, friends will be very happy that there's another toilet block story he seems to be fascinated he's very seems to be very fascinated with like drivers that pick the toilet certain toilet block before the race so. oh, I didn't know it was that common <laughs> Yeah, no, it's we've we've had quite a few that have um, said it. So, mm. um, yeah, women and men that have both said, "Yep, yeah, got to have a got to have a certain toilet block." Mm. Um, someone's a certain cubicle as well, like right down to the right down to the cubicle as well. So, yeah. yeah oh, yeah, it has um, to be the same. Like, I'm not satisfied with just the same toilet block. It's got to be the same cubicle. It's got to be the same cubicle. Oh yeah, okay. yeah, definitely. Yep. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> So, we, so we've just got to make sure no one figures that out and like sabotages you when you go racing and well, sits up and out of water sign or something like that. <laughs> since everyone's doing it, I'm thinking now maybe I should change it up. <laughs> I'll let you know. Thanks. <laughs> Anti-superstition, I like it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's um it's funny that yeah, another one. Well, that's pretty cool. Um so obviously um dad is a mum and dad a huge uh, part of having you racing um who else would you say is on your list of you know let's say yeah you become a you know world champion and you've got a you've got a minute to thank the people that helped you in your race career who, who would be on that list for you okay so yeah, obviously mum and dad, um, pretty much to the end of Formula Ford, obviously had a few sponsors here and there as well, but they obviously financially supported me the whole way and pretty much any opportunity that came up, if they were able to get me there, um, they would and they did. So that's the reason that I have the experience and the memories that I have now. So definitely them. Brett, You're allowed to mention the sponsors. Okay, so the big, hey, as growing up in cadets, um, yep. Mills Drainage, so Clayton Mills has uh, known Dad for a really long time and Blake, his son, actually races KZ with Sam. So he, I think he bought me tyres here and there like when I was really little. And then when I got into Formula Ford, um, Premium All Sands, which is a family that I knew also through racing as well, they helped me out a lot in 20, 2016, I think. Um, and then, yeah, just other little ones just sort of here and there, maybe one-off things. Um, so, yes, in Formula Ford, Brett, it, Brett Lupton helped me out so much. Um, and then also Adam Lyle from Arise Racing has really helped me out over the years. So even from letting me, I mean, he let me borrow his car one year to do, I think, the state titles and then helped me out through Formula Ford. Um, obviously, when I did a couple of rounds in F1000, he helped me out, helped me out with that and even just like, real life stuff he sort of said like come in for a meeting and we'll just talk about it um he's done the same with sam as well so yeah big help um and last one would be tom so obviously i met tom about six years ago and now he has his own business and does all the setups and works on a lot of the excels and is building his own car as well but yeah without all of the work like countless hours he put into the excel and even sort of through when I did a few cart meetings and Formula Ford as well, just like keeping me grounded if dad was on my case or if someone was on my case, he'd always yeah. have my back. So, yeah, and, yeah, the hours that he put into Formula Ford, into 
the Excel, if I had to pay him for that, I wouldn't have been out there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Well, um, I think I think we've covered it all. I think that wrap, that's going to wrap it up. And um, yeah, we've popped pop Chris's uh, co-host duties um, cherry, so to speak. So <laughs> he's he's still on. Uh, just just need to hit the unmute button, mate. But yeah, I was it's still- I was muted. <laughs> I had uh, internet delivery. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. You got a delivery. Yeah. So apparently something happened overnight and uh, okay. half of Perth routers died <laughs> with these oh. whatever router I have. Fair enough. And they unannounced just showed up and dropped off a new one. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, well, I'll talk about that off air. I know exactly what happened. Um, <laughs> geek. Uh, yeah, cool. Um, <laughs> so thanks for coming on today, Chris. I've been, been great to uh, have someone who knows karting really well to um, ask the questions, which I, you know, I, I have no, uh, no shame in admitting that I'm not a motorsport nerd. Um, I just love motorsport. Um, but you know, you couldn't, you couldn't say some technical stuff to me and I'll be going, Oh yeah, I understand that. I don't, I don't understand it. Yeah. And that's, that's why I love having these chats with people because, you know, I learn new stuff, um, and get to know some cool stuff. Um, I won't say knowing which toilet cubicle is like on top of my list of wanting to know about people. Um, but if it is their superstition, that's cool. Just don't tell me which cubicle. Um, cause it is likely that I will go put an out of water sign on there just to be a dickhead. Um, but, uh, thank you for joining us, Taylor. Um, and hopefully, yeah, you'll be back out in the car sometime this year. Um, sticking it to the boys and, um, yeah, keeping them honest. I'm sure I will be, and thank you for having me as well. Yeah. Um, one last thing, FIA Girls on Track. Mm-hmm. Um, you did that program up at uh, Driver Risk Management earlier this year. Um, did you end up getting in contact? Did, did those that lady end up calling you about her daughter and? Oh yes. The chat so, um, yeah. Her name is Charlie, and she's just yeah. bought a go kart, so she's got a go kart. Nice. Yeah. So she's done, I think one or two practices now. Um, yep. So we got her, we ran a have a go day also at dri- the driver risk management center. Not long after that, cause dad sort of had a few people on the list um, and she was, yeah, super keen to come. So I gave her a call. She came up yep. and did that and yeah, she was hooked. So she had been, I think it was her that had been saving her money and her mum and dad said, we'll match whatever you save. And then, yeah. yeah, so she bought a go-kart and she's in a go-kart. Nice. And, yeah, so I think um, Priyanka from Motorsport Australia contacted, well, must have contacted everyone a few weeks ago just to get some info so they have a full list of what I guess we're called mentors now um, on the website, yeah. all the women that have been helping out all over the country with Girls on Track. And yeah. I believe there's another event, I think, late, uh, late this year in WA. So, yeah, I'll definitely be keen to, to be there if they contact me and give me the opportunity. I'm sure they will. Otherwise, I'll get all grumpy at them. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a really cool event, and it was, um, yeah. Like, I remember that girl, and she was just every single station she was on, right? Just so enthusiastic about doing whatever she could to be in motorsport, and she did the day before. Um, 
or one of the days before in the Ricardo's races. Um, and Andre Homgartner actually mentioned her, was like, you know, she's got some ta- like potential talent there and hopefully she sticks with it. So Yeah, and it's good seeing um, girls like that because a lot of girls, like she was a real go-getter and a lot of girls feel quite um, intimidated and I did, I was at a, um, a girls-only tuning day that Wanneroo did years ago now and yeah. a lot of the women there, and they, these were this is what wasn't for girls. This was women bringing their partners' cars or even their road cars, and they all pretty much said, "Oh, we can only afford for one of us to race." So my husband races, or I just I yeah. tried it and I felt really intimidated. So it's you don't want people to feel like that, and if those girls on track days or any events like that are what help girls and women to feel more comfortable and feel like it's more accessible for them then that's the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah, there's a girl, um, Lauren Messenger, who's doing some uh, stuff with the MX5 Club, I think it is. Um, And I should know about it because there's an article about to go up on Behind the Sport about Mm -hmm. Lauren. Um, So I really should know my stuff about her. Um, That was actually written by Bridget Bell, so that's my excuse. Um, But uh, I'm scrambling to bring it up right now. Um, yeah, so it's like a, um, women's only competition series, um, just to, yeah, give them, get, you know, ladies involved with motorsport at it, you know, to have a bit of a go without, as you say, the pressure of, you know, but my husband wants to go racing, so I've got to sit this one out, um, you know, or turning up to a race day, which is, you know, very obviously dominated by men at the moment, so... Um, you know, hopefully some of those ladies will take the jump across from those events to, um, you know, participate in, in the uh, full-on events. So, yeah, it's good to have that kind yeah. of stuff at the entry level. Um, at the really high level competitive end, the women-only stuff is defeating the purpose of yep. um, getting women out there. Like I, if I want to prove myself, I want to prove myself against the best. I don't care if they're who they are. Uh, definitely at an entry level to get people, to get women in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you need it. So that's really that environment where they're not intimidated and, you know, like the, like the guy, the girls on track in Sydney program, you know, turning around to Jess Dane and going to her, you know, you only got into motorsport because of daddy and, you know, and Jess was really good with turning around and going, well, actually, daddy didn't want me in motorsport. So, here I am in motorsport, so, you know, and then um, and even um, Charlotte last on the, her episode, you know, she mentioned the W Series and, you know, how much of a joke it was. Like it was just, you know, the, the winners weren't picked on their talent. It was, you know, picked on, you know, their soap, soapbox yeah. ability basically. So and that's probably um, because it's closely related with F1. You're going to always have a bit of that. Um, yeah. yeah, her, her standpoint on the W series, I'm pretty much the same as that. Like, yeah, you just, if you, if you're going to prove yourself as a woman, like it's not really necessarily proving yourself as a woman driver. You just want to prove yourself as a driver equally to everybody else. So don't segregate the minority and put them on a, their own little stage. Yeah. Everyone needs to be out there together. Like exactly like Molly Taylor's doing with the extreme E. You want to see women that are winning against the best, regardless of yeah. their gender. So, yeah. Yeah. So hopefully 
hopefully one day yes one day they'll they'll realize that in in f1 but for now obviously they won't and <laughs> you know at least supercars you know gives women you know, give women a chance just i think some of their decisions in the past have been a bit poor about who they've had backed but yeah. um and put into cars but uh not going to go into that one because i've already ranted about that person a fair bit yeah. um but uh yeah anyway and it's not just because she's a woman uh it's definitely because she's an absolute piece of shit. <laughs> anyway um on that note thank you very much hope to see you the track and uh yeah that ends another episode um catch us next time thank you Shane here from Behind the Sport. Thanks for listening to our latest episode. If you don't already follow us, head on over to Facebook and Instagram. Find us on there. Give us a follow. Or visit our website, behindthesport.net. Catch up with the latest motorsport news. Find all of our previous episodes. And, of course, you can leave us comments on those as well. You can also find us on your favourite podcast provider, such as Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and more. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.